So welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim, where we talk to Tim Price of PriceValuePartners.com. Good morning, Tim. How are you today? Good morning, Paul. Very good, thanks. How are you? Very good, thanks. We've had some great responses to the 100th episode competition, the details of which you can find in the 100th episode. You can win a copy of How to Lose $100 Million and Other Valuable Advice by Royal Little. So just a quick note that if you haven't entered that, just drop us an email at the number 100 at sotmpodcast.com. And I have actually managed to get a copy of it, which is quite a feat because it's out of print. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, it was, re- it was really difficult. I, I just went on Amazon and there was a copy. I thought it was. Oh, is, it, is it a second hand or an original? No, it's actually brand new, believe it or not. Oh, brand new. Yeah. So, um, so I've got the copy. We just, you and I have just got to sign it. And then, well, when the competition ends, we'll send it off to the lucky winner, who will be picked at random, of course. Yeah. So how is everything in the world with you as far as the financial markets go? Um, I suppose the, 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 the slow, torturous move towards relaxing lockdown does help um, at a psychological level, albeit it, it still looks a bit pathetic, the, the, the speed at which we're you know, slowly emerging from this swamp. Um, so I, I'm not sure that the, the, the pubs and restaurants being, quote, open, unquote, on the 4th of July is necessarily going to make all that much difference because I don't know about you, but I, I go to the pub as a act of spontaneity and I don't really want to you know, give my personal details inside leg measurement, um, credit card details, all the rest, just to just have a pint. Hang on, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to inform me because remember, I don't, I don't tend to follow the news and you're, you're my source. So Okay, so, so basically the, 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 you know, Boris has announced that pubs and restaurants, though perversely not nail bars, gyms and swimming pools, um, will be able to reopen from the 4th of July, provided there's appropriate social distancing and hygiene measures introduced. But it does look rather, you know, as, as per the whole sort of Orwellian mess that is 2020, that if you want to go down your boozer, you're going to have to give, basically relinquish your, your personal details first. You're going to have to book a table in advance. And basically it sounds, it, it sounds like a sort of horrible bureaucratic mess. So how, what, what's that got to do with anything? So you've got to, you've got well, to give, you've got to give, I, I, your, you've got to give you, your details, I, Apparently, well, this is this is guidance rather than law, so it'll be interesting to see how many oh. people actually uh, you know, fulfil it. But uh, their excuse is going to be that you know, it's so that if if there is a flare up, then they can try and trace everybody involved. But you know, Matt, I don't know if you know the Matt cartoon in the Telegraph, oh, I love but it. Matt is pro- probably the best you know regular daily cartoonist exist that exists today. Yes, and he had a great one saying, "Well, you know, it's sort of two people in a pub saying, well, you know, it looks like, you know, uh, how do they have some mini, mi- Mickey Mouse may have got it, in which case we're going to have to inform Lord Lucan and you know, <laughs> all the other ones. So um, maybe that's the, the spirit in which people will take it. But it just, I, I probably won't be attending, you know, on the day the day that they open, because I think it's just going to be a horrible bureaucratic mess. And I think actually it's going to be impossible to get, a, to get a table walked anyway. I suspect it feels like let's get an app for that type of situation so it's it, just you know it, the problem that the, the really you know disturbing problem that, that all of 2020 is you know accelerated is is the return of the big state so this clonking size 12 big state behemoth is back and this is calling all the shots mm. so the uh, the early flurries during the early stage of lockdown was sort of police drones and just the most oh, i mean plod has had a terrible coronavirus crisis let's be honest um and it, so you saw those videos of like drone footage of people 
in complete, completely isolated on the moors and say, is, is this, is this, is this holiday picnicking really essential? No, it's not. Mm. No, we'll stop. We'll shoot. You know, all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And it's like, at the same time as sort of mass BLM rallies are allowed to take place and, and people are allowed to sort of torch cop cars and all the rest with complete impunity that the police have had this a dreadful crisis. But in, in, in the big news for me is that Harriman House, uh, the publishers have sent me a copy I think a, a review copy of uh, a new book by Morgan Housel. Oh, fun. Um, called The Psychology of Money, which I'm halfway through. And it, I have to say, it is a terrific read. Fantastic. Now, in the interest, in the interest of full disclosure, Harriman House also published my book called The um, Investing Through the Looking Glass. So they'll publish so, anything, basically. So they'll publish anything, basically. They'll, 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 they'll publish something at the drop of a hat, you know. You know but but uh, no, so The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel is a terrific read. I think it's going to be formally... Um, published in September, so this is an advanced copy that I'm I'm leafing you through at the moment. You lucky bugger! Well, there you go. The uh, the benefits of uh, it's not it's not it's not what you know, it's who you know, Paul. Indeed, indeed. Um, well, very but nice basi- too. But, but, but basically, the, the the long story short is Morgan Housel. For people who don't know him, is uh, someone who used to write for Motley Fool, someone who used to write for the Wall Street Journal, um, and I think he's now involved in something called the Collaborative Fund. But he is basically one of the best financial bloggers out there, bar none. Yeah. And so I'm halfway through this, but it's it's already a sort of must read for anyone that is is even tangentially remotely involved in finance, investing, saving. So the subtitle, so the, the title is the psychology of money. The subtitle is timeless lessons on wealth, greed, and happiness. And there's a quote from Howard Marks, which is bang on, which is Housel's observations often hit the daily double. They say things that haven't been said before, and they make sense. And it, it struck me. I mean, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you just one of the things that I've, I've already sort of highlighted because I think it's, it's such a good observation. So there's a point about there's a chapter about saving money, and this is a, this is a direct Housel quote where he says, "Every bit of savings is like taking a point in the future that would have been owned by someone else and giving it back to yourself." I mean, that's practically a book on its own, but there's so many implications from that. It's such a, a fabulous observation. Yeah, basically about how. Getting into the habit of saving, even if it's only in a relatively modest way, yeah. can make all the difference about future choices. And these are the kind of lessons that people like Buffett just just got instinctively at a very early age. He used to sell so, sell chewing gum. He used to get the packets. He, and I think break he used to sell up. chewing gum. He, used to, he had a, he had a paper around him. He did all the kind of sort of conventional things. Mm. But there's a reason why the the Buffett biography is called the Snowball mm. because he he twigged possibly sooner than anybody else. I and mean, he, he clearly has a, a genetic makeup, which is extremely rare, but it's called the snowball because he, he appreciated that, you know, if you start saving and investing, then the miracle of compounding acts like a gigantic snowball. It's like an inexorable force. Yeah. And there's a, there's an account of Buffett. Um, so, so Buffett's never been, you know, particularly you know profligate he's always been, you know he lives in the same house that he bought when he was you know far much younger um he drives a battered out car there's there's a clapped out car there's there's virtually nobody involved in sort of middle management at Berkshire Hathaway so it's, everything is done lean and mean did you see and his presentation or you know I do, well I've seen, I've seen I haven't seen the, the whole I've seen half of it with it with his can of coke and all the well, rest it was but, so funny because the actual presentation was literally just the words on yeah. whatever. Oh so yes, exactly. Well, I mean, he's the, not the, even employed someone to say "tart yeah. this up for me." No, I mean, if you if you look at the 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 the, the, the digital pièce de résistance that is the sort of Berkshire annual report, it's it's not exactly 
all singing, all dancing. It's basically a, a Word document that's been converted into a PDF document. <laughs> and the website and, is incredible. And the, web, the website is like something out of like 1996. So it's, 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 but it's a wonder to behold. <laughs> but there's a, sto- there's a story of, of Buffett at a, at a drinks party, probably back in, I don't know, the 70s or 80s. And someone offers him like a glass. It's either champagne or expensive wine. He says, no, thanks. I'll just take the cash. <laughs> And <laughs> no, it's just wow. clear that, that he's, 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 he has so developed the mindset of just basically just don't splurge on stuff that's, that's, that's non, non-essential. And, and that mindset has, has made him one of the wealthiest people in the world. So, I mean, we can have a pop at him slightly from the sidelines about sort of having lost his touch and you know, Berkshire having got too big and unmanageable and all the rest. And there's some, there's some truth in that. But notwithstanding that, it's very difficult, bluntly, to, to really criticise him for you know, for what he's achieved, because A, a he's done it, I think, legally. Uh, or, you know, but let's just end it there. He's done it legally. And B, he's made no secret of, uh, he's made no secret of how he's gone about doing it. In fact, exactly the opposite. He's made his mindset and philosophy abundantly available to anyone that's got the, the time and inclination to read it. Mm. So he's, he's not exactly kept it secret. He's been abundantly clear and obvious and transparent about how he's done it. Anyway, so this is a, a book that I would definitely recommend, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. And, uh, we can't I'm, buy I'm about, it yet, though, Tim. You can't buy it yet, but I think you can probably uh, advance order a copy. Oh, right, okay. And so I was chatting to, to one of my colleagues yesterday, and he'd already, he'd, without any reference to me, he'd already pre-ordered it, so he'd heard about it. Great. Um, and probably had a splurge on Amazon. But it, it, the thought struck me, so I'm halfway through, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably do a, a more extensive review at a later date, that the the thought struck me that you know that the the title is important the psychology of money it struck me that if ben graham benjamin graham who's the master the grandfather godfather of value investing if benjamin graham was writing today instead of titling his magnum opus the intelligent investor he'd probably perhaps or possibly call it the um the emotional investor instead so for my money and this is where the sort of the housel book really really scores he makes abundantly clear that you know there's rational stuff and there's logical stuff, and then there's actually what we actually do as human beings. Yes. And human beings are not rational, logical things. We are just bundles of emotion. And there's another insight into the way the mind works, and I forget who, who I owe this to, but it'll be probably from one of the documentaries about the mind that I've seen over the last few years. And it's a fantastic observation about, you know, we think that we are this sort of, you know, this, this what's the, the phrase? the thinking person, homo economicus, homo rationalis or whatever. And the reality is that we do stuff and then our brain accounts for what we've done after the fact yeah. in some form of self-justification. So there's this great line, I, I, I can't remember who coined it, but basically we think of the brain as the commander-in-chief, but actually the brain is closer to being the press secretary. Yes. And it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic observation, which I'm minded to believe is absolutely true. In other words, basically we act on gut instinct. We, you know, for example, if, if, if let's say, sake of argument, someone throws a ball at you or there's, there's something hurtling towards you, you'll instinctively, you know, blink, close your eyes, maybe put your arms up or hands up in self-defense or to try and catch it. That will all happen before you're even conscious of what's really going on. Mm. So the way we operate is not the way we think we operate. Yes. The, the, we are not creatures of logic and, and rationality. We are just bundles, basically bundles of instinct. And we, we then account for what we've done after, after we've already done it. Yes, the human brain is the most complicated and advanced creation that we know of. And I still don't think we're, we're remotely close to really sort of tapping its secrets. No, but the, no that's the, the great. True. But the great thing about this book is it's chock full of, of sort of anecdotes and insights. So I'm going to be raiding it liberally for my own commentaries well into the future. 
Um, it, it's just great because it's it or for me all of the m- most interesting and most relevant stuff by way of economic commentary over the last few years has all been behavioural finance. None of it's been from sort of traditional economics. Yeah. Traditional economics basic complete waste of time. So if you if you're just finishing an economics degree, sorry guys, but uh, you know I think you'll be better off studying psychology. Yes, indeed. That's um, that was a conclusion I came to in the in the nineties basically that it was a. Uh, you know, following the markets was more about... And that has probably informed the reasons why you practice technical analysis as opposed to macro analysis. Exactly. It's because the markets... If if the markets don't make sense most of the time, then you're not going to you're not going to glean any information from economic data. And that that doesn't... Some people think that that means that you can't make money out of economic data. And it's not that... That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you take news flow and you take headlines and you take uh, the, the standard economic model of what should happen, the markets don't work like that. Otherwise, you know, Tesla would be half the price potentially of where it is now. And so there's no point following stuff that, that is inconsistent and opinionated it, when it comes to the markets because you don't know what you don't know. And that's mm. part of the problem. I don't know why Tesla is so high. There may be a reason that I just can't know about. I call it dark information. And therefore, mm. for that reason, everything, I approach the markets on the basis that I don't know anything about it. And therefore, I let the market reveal what it wants to do. And if that's if that doesn't follow what the media is saying, then then that's that's absolutely fine. But the amount of times I've heard people saying, well, no, this, the market is wrong. It shouldn't be doing this. Well, whatever it is, whether it's wrong or not, it's doing it. And that's that's something as an investor you've got to kind of get behind very quickly. Otherwise, you're not gonna you're not gonna survive. We're all just trying to predict where the market will go. And there's there's no point either saying this analyst is right or this analyst is wrong, because they may have completely different metrics from from what you're you know looking at they might work for a bank and and they might be looking at all the other analysts that are bullish and therefore thinking i better not go against the herd they might be an investment manager who thinks i better just buy apple because if i don't then i'll be the one that will lose money because everybody else is buying so it all becomes a game of psychology anyway there's this i mean there's the first almost rookie mistake that people make uh, not to be disparaging is is that if if you're sort of not working in finance let's say you get the sort of the news reports on i don't know m&s profits and m&s reports let's say profits up 10% which is never going to happen of course because i think m&s is probably on the way out but anyway m&s reports 10% higher profits and the and the, sh- the share price uh, goes down and so the, the the first, albeit natural response is, well, that's a bit odd. You know, they've just reported higher profits and yet the shares have sold off. And of course, the thing that you then immediately grasp, or if, if you work in financial markets, you, you grasp fairly quickly is, well, the, the, you can account for that because the reason why the share price sold off is because the market was expecting even higher profits. Yes. So the market is continually discounting the future. So it's not enough. It's, you'd think like, well, if markets are efficient, which brackets, which they aren't brackets, then, you know, uh, news comes out and and you know the market then responds logically to it, but it's all about you know expectations. So a, a thing happens. If that thing was priced in, it won't have any effect. Or if it, it, it or if the market really hadn't priced it in, then it will maybe have an outsized effect. Yes. Uh, but it's uh, you talk about sort of you know what, what what people's motivations are and they're trying to forecast the future. And probably the best analogy. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I, I 
every time I make a, a make praise of of Keynes, the economist, I have to do so through gritted teeth because I, I well, if Keynes himself wasn't pure evil, and certainly neo-Keynesians, I think, are, are dangerous people, put it that way. So I think it's a bit like Marx, that the individual may or may not have been remotely sensible, rational, intelligent, or wise, but that, that his followers have, have done more damage than you know they can possibly imagine. Anyway, so the, the thing about Keynes, where I'd say he, he has done a service, is his idea of the, the beauty contest. So he wrote famously about the way markets operate being like a, a beauty contest, yes. whereby... The judges are not uh, voting on the prettiest woman per se, or who they think is the prettiest woman, but who they think the other judges is going to think is the prettiest woman. So, in other words, it's not just about your own expectation; it's about trying to trying to forecast the expectations of, of the rest of the crowd. And then, of course, that can just become a continually self-referential process, whereby it just goes, you know, you, you just tie yourself up in knots because you can you can continue that 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 that, that process of thought indefinitely. Hasn't that got something to do with the Nash equilibrium as well? I don't know, because that sounds like we're getting on to game theory now, but I dare say that's, that's, that's relevant too. I, th- I think it has, yeah. So let's move on to listener questions, because um, I'm sure it will spin off into another... Another woolly diatribe. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Rob Harvard on Twitter. He said, did they really fix the repo market back in September, November? Still looks like they're shoveling money into that bottomless pit. If the repo market was beyond help, then some people would be glad of something else to blame the biggest crash in 300 years on. So I'm assuming this is a reference to the US repo market. Yes. Um, and basically re- re- repos or sort of sale and repurchase agreements are sort of ways in which banks fund, each, fund, it, fund themselves in the short, short to medium term. Um, to be honest, I haven't I haven't kept too much of an eye on the precise um, you know g- comings and goings of sort of U.S. and 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 U.S. monetary policy and policy elsewhere. That said, I'm to, to the best of my knowledge, the the Fed has not exactly been shy of just hosing hosing the markets with with liquidity, and the, to put the the amount of stimulus into context. Um, I think it's macro. I'm trying to think of the, the firm involved, but it's James Ferguson's shop. Uh, and I remember James is one of my favourite economists, and probably one of the few economists that actually makes any sense. Yes. And he 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 pointed out recently that to get a sense of the, the level of stimulus for 2020 for coronavirus is um, that in the space of two months, the Fed had thrown had created more money than it did in six years of QE. Now, the sums are just eye-watering. And so with that in mind, so we've had basically getting on, let's say, 12 years of quantitative easing since 2008. And half, more than half of that has now been done uh, this year. More than half of that accumulated QE. So we're talking trillions. And uh, my, my sense, and again, I don't have sort of chapter and verse to back it up, but you'll be able to find the data relatively easily through, through any of the sort of major financial um, publications, is that, you know, not that it's necessarily going to have the desired effect, but that the the central banks have just gone straight from, uh, well, they've gone from like naught to zero to hundred miles an hour in the space of about half a second, um, so that no one can accuse them of sort of failing failing to respond in a monetary capacity. And governments, I'm sure, will continue to do more of the same in a fiscal way. So, the the let's say the U.S. banking system. I won't comment for Europe. I think Eurozone's a disaster. 
but the US banking system, I think, is fundamentally in better shape now than it was in 2008. Having said that, um, the nature of the crisis is also going to be different. So th this is this is where this could be more of a slow burn uh, than than 08. That if you think about what happened in 08, the problem was basically at the institutional level, i.e. The, the major banks, and then it rippled down. Whereas this time around, the authorities have, have sprayed money uh, at, at, at all of the financial institutions, at all large institutions. So I don't think there's, there's really a risk anytime soon of, of financial failure in the system that way. But where the problems will arise will be bottom up. So there'll be individual, small, sadly, individual small businesses just failing left, right and centre. And then there'll be like a reverse cascade up that will ultimately impact on the banks. But it's, it's exactly the 180 degrees different from what 08 was like, whereas 08 was big banks failing, having to be bailed out and leading to all kinds of, you know, obviously ancillary consequences. This time around, it's going to be big banks, you know, protected with just, ridiculous amounts of, of liquidity provision and stimulus and this time it's going to be small smes that that will fail left right and center it, it's already looking as if some of the stuff that's happening in the uk you know these these loan provisions uh, apparently var it, it seems like vast amounts of those um government government back loans are, are they going to fail that you know they're just going to get they're going to go quietly go bump and the government's underwritten all of them so the implications of whatever happens to businesses, you know, the government debt outlook just looks like a disaster in the making. Yeah. So the markets in between have actually been trading quite well. I mean, we've seen the markets moving higher. And despite some pretty bearish predictions, just going back to the repo market reminds me that Daniel DiMartino Booth, who we had on the show, she was talking about that and mentioning the that as an issue. And I'd like to get, it'd be very good to get her up to up to date opinion on what she thinks of the market as we are now and given the amount of liquidity that's been thrown at the system. But I think we can pretty much guess it'll be in line with what you've just said. What I, what I was astonished to see, I haven't read the, the story, partly because I think it was on MSN, which I don't use, but it was just a headline saying economists think that, you know, basically we're in for a period of, of very low inflation and that's that's about 180 degrees different from my my take on how things are going to play out for you know the, the 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 near to medium term you know with all this money base money creation flying around i did not get the sense of of, of a low inflationary future yes and there is a risk that the currencies could start to move quite aggressively so they're the the one area where we haven't actually seen much volatility relative to the amount of movement we've seen in equities and mm. i just when one starts to go whichever nation it is then it could that could snowball and mm. the dollars under the under the microscope at the moment i think you've got to be careful that if if uh, if the dollar starts to weaken um, we could really get some form of of kind of confidence crisis so and that would imply precious metals and other products would move higher. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just while I remember the Morgan Hauser book, just to circle back for that for a moment because it does relate yeah. to money. Does it say anything? Does he say anything about cryptocurrencies? Uh, not yet, but I haven't finished it yet. Yeah. So there, there may be maybe references, but so far it hasn't really hasn't really been an issue. No. Right. Well, we got a message from Graham Jones who left us a message once before, which was very kind of him. And I'm just going to play it to you because I think it's very nice of him. Uh, here we go.
Hi guys, this is Graham Jones here. Happy birthday, uh, happy hundredth birthday, and that's to the program, not not to Tim, but happy birthday to to him too. Um, uh, what a fantastic guest you had in, in Luke Johnson, incredibly interesting. Um, you could have taken double the time, and it would have still been uh, highly interesting and engaging, superb as ever. But I think that is one of your best. So uh, more, please. Uh, take care and stay safe. Well, thank you very much, Graham. Mo- most appreciate the kind sentiments. Thank you, thank you very much indeed. Yes. I'll second that. Thank you very much, Graham. Uh, so just just to, just to come back to the thing about inflation. So polemic pain on Twitter at uh, polemic tmm. Um, just to go back on the inflation front. So he's saying this was twenty fifth of June, which is what only a few minutes, uh, yesterday. Uh, so far, haircut haircut up thirty eight percent. Pint of beer up twenty three percent. Hand car wash up thirty percent. Dentist visit up thirty five pounds. Paint up twenty to fifty percent. And my favourite tins of smoked oysters up fourteen percent. Yeah. Now, so some anecdotal evidence there that inflation is already uh, is already starting to percolate through the system. Someone I know had to go to the dentist, got charged four hundred pounds for a filling. Wow. So, and it, what are you going to do? I mean, you, you're stuck, aren't you? It's 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 terrible. So I agree. I agree. I don't see prices really going down at all. And also, a lot of businesses are going to be trying to recover lost, lost revenues. So. Well, this is it. So, I mean, we, I've been discussing this with, you know, my, my, my friends and whatnot, and um, we're sort of thinking that for the restaurants that do open, you know, the meals aren't going to be cheaper than they were before this, this, this mess, and the chances are they're going to be a lot more expensive. And partly, obviously, that'll, that'll be to do with people's capacity to, you know, to pay, pay up. So for those of us who are somewhat price insensitive and like dining out, you know, it, it's not really an issue, but... Uh, yeah, the, the word the word stagflation springs to mind, and, and not in any good way. Yes, indeed. I think we have to have uh, James back on, James Ferguson back on at some point, yeah. to discuss it further. So, just a reminder: we will be setting up a Patreon page, which will be patreon.com forward slash state of the markets where we're going to give you extra goodies so details of that will be coming soon and on sunday i'll be releasing the james dellingpole episode so look forward to that indeed indeed bring it on yeah brilliant stuff well tim thank you so much and we will catch everyone next time and let's be careful out there careful out there (laughs) bye bye Don't forget to enter the competition. You've still got time. Email us at 100 at sotmpodcast.com. And the question you'll have to find is in our 100th episode. So if you have a listen to that, you'll discover what the question is and you'll be able to email us. So good luck with that. Thanks for your current entries. They've been brilliant. And for all the lovely messages. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.